Last week, we started a new series on Psalms, the one that I am very excited for. If you missed the handout last week, if you weren't here last week, we've got a just half sheet meant to fit in your Bible. Uh, so make sure you grab that on the way out. That'll help explain some of the different categories as we go through. But I want to I point out two things. I want to draw attention to two things. Um, last week, I said that my suspicion is, my theory is, a hypothesis, whatever word you want to use, Psalms might be one of the most underutilized and underappreciated books of the Bible because we don't think to study it. We're not sure how to study it. And I've had multiple conversations in the past week where people have been willing to say, yeah, I've never studied Psalms. I've never considered studying Psalms as a whole book. So one, thank you everybody for honesty. There's no shame in, in honesty. And so let that be a reminder that one of the greatest lies the devil convinces Christians of is you're the only one that's too embarrassing to admit or say anything about. Uh, two, another frequent conversation I've had with multiple people as they were looking through that half sheet. You've got hymns, messianic, psalms of knowledge, psalms of gratitude, imprecatory psalms. Multiple people have said, never heard that word, don't know that word. That's intimidating, that's daunting, that's, that's tough to think about stuff that I, okay, that's good. We'll learn it together. So it's again, never a thing to be ashamed about to say, I don't know this, this is new to me. Because what that means is we have a chance to explore and go deeper together. And so as we prepare to go into this morning's category of Psalms, where again, we're laying the foundation, looking at the broad types. Again, we're using the phrase, the Psalms help me know God's infinite love to keep that, uh, what do they call that, mnemonic device, acronym. I, I never get the two of them. I don't remember which one's which. But that's a, that's a simple phrase to help us remember the basic, broad, overarching categories of the different types of psalms. So last week we looked at H, psalms of hymns, also known as liturgy psalms. These are psalms that are all about worship, d verbal declaration of worship, praising God for different uh, reasons. This week we come to the M, messianic. And so, like we talked about at the start, like Matt talked about, like the songs pointed to, Jesus has to be preeminent in everything, and the Psalms do a beautiful, beautiful job of reminding us of that. Before we begin, before we dive in, please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we just thank you for Jesus. That is such a broad gratitude. And so we are thankful um, in such a broad way. We are thankful for the love of Christ. We are thankful for the boldness and truth of Christ. We are thankful for the firm resoluteness of Christ. We are thankful for the union with Christ. We are thankful for the example of Christ. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Jesus, we praise you as Lord. Now, God, as we open your word, would you teach us? Would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Uh, one of my favorite verses is to encourage the faint-hearted and admonish the idle. God, if, if I'm idle in any way, use your word to admonish me. If I'm faint-hearted in any way, use your word to encourage me. If your people gathered here this morning, joining us online, watching later this week, Lord, if, if we are idle, if we are faint-hearted, use your word as only you can. 
Spur your church on, Lord. Conform us to Jesus. May this time of scripture be a continuation of our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Messianic Psalms, a very quick overview. Messianic Psalms provide prophetic details about Jesus as Savior. They point to the coming Messiah. Details of what he will go through, details of what he will do. You know, last week I said, depending on who you ask, depending on who you study, they might have more categories. Depending on who you ask and who you study, talking about Messianic Psalms, they might say that any Psalms that talk about sin are pointing to a need for a Messiah. So some people might include sin Psalms uh, under the Messianic category. But when you're looking at the Psalms, as you're studying it through, if you come to a Psalm where you're like, hey, man, that sounds like Jesus's life, that's probably a Messianic Psalm. Now, this goes beyond details that are true about God that are also therefore true about Jesus. So if I'm reading a psalm and it talks about uh, God as creator, last week we looked at creator hymns, praising the Lord as creator. And we say, well, you know, the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and all things that were made were made through him. So yes, a psalm praising God as creator is also praising Jesus. But that wouldn't necessarily be a messianic psalm. The messianic psalms are really about that prophetic forecasting, foreshadowing, foretelling of Jesus's life, of what he was going to experience, what he was going to do for his people. They also, and this is where we can maybe get tripped up in studying the psalms and trying to figure out is this a messianic psalm or not, they also tend to fit into another category in the present day sense. And what I mean by that is we're going to look at Psalm 22 in more detail. Psalm 22 is arguably the most famous messianic psalm, but it's also a psalm of lament. Because when David wrote it, he was writing his lament. He was writing his grief. He was writing his sorrow. So in David's present day when he wrote it, you would categorize that as a psalm of lament. Now we see that it was also being used by God to prophetically foreshadow Jesus's life. So it's a messianic psalm. But so as you're reading through the psalms, you may come to one and you think, well, that kind of sounds like this, but it, so yeah, a messianic psalm can, and honestly, frequently, almost always does also fit into a category of other types of psalms that we'll look at. Um, if you remember, when would this have been? This would have been, I think, two years ago. We had just finished the series on Joshua. We were coming out of Joshua. We hadn't started our new series, and we did that one Sunday message on Jesus throughout the whole Bible, how you see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. Or no, I'm sorry, we were coming out of the life of Jesus, and we were about to start Joshua. So before we went into the Old Testament, we looked at how you see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament. One of my favorite reasons to study Psalms and to read through Psalms is because Psalms is overwhelmingly about Jesus. Starting in Psalm 2, Psalm 2 tells us in a big picture that the Messiah is the Son of God. We see this fulfilled in Matthew 3, 17. Psalms 2, 1 through 2 gives the specific detail that the, the rulers, the leaders, the human authorities of the time will conspire against the Messiah. We see this in Acts 4. Psalms 8, or Psalm 8, uh, verses 2 and 6 says that the Messiah will be praised specifically by children and will be rulers of all, or ruler of all. We see that fulfilled in Matthew and Hebrews. Psalm 16 uh, prof prophesies that the Messiah will rise from death. 
We see that in the New Testament. Psalm 22, verse 1, 7 and 8, 16, 18, says that the Messiah will be forsaken by God, derided by enemies. His hands and feet will be pierced. Lots will be cast for his clothes. We see that fulfilled in the life of Jesus. You have Psalm 34, 20, says that the Messiah's bones will be unbroken. We see that in Jesus' death on the cross. Psalm 35 says he will be accused by false witnesses. We see that leading up to the crucifixion. Psalm 35 also tells us that the Messiah will be hated without cause. Psalm 40 says that the Messiah will delight in God's word. Psalm 41 tells us the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend. Psalm 45 describes the Messiah as the eternal king. Psalm 68 describes how he will ascend to heaven. Psalm 69 talks about how the Messiah will be consumed with zeal for God's house. We see all of these fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Psalm 69 says he will be given vinegar and gal to drink. Psalm 72 talks about how he will be given dominion and glory. Psalm 78 describes how the Messiah will speak in parables. Psalm 89 tells us that genealogically speaking, the Messiah will come from the line of David. Psalm 109 says he will specifically pray for his enemies. Psalm 109 also tells us that his friend who betrayed him will be replaced in the group. Uh, Psalm 110 talks about how the Messiah will rule over his enemies. Psalm 110 also says how the Messiah will be a priest forever. And then Psalm 118 describes the Messiah as the chief cornerstone who comes in the name of the Lord. We see all of these prophetic details fulfilled in the life of Christ. So just from a logistics standpoint, I'm no mathematician by any means. I've joked that like you go past addition and subtraction, and I'm, I'm useless. But what are the odds that one person fulfills all of those prophetic details through just sheer random chance? Uh, there are odds I'm not going to bet against. So even, even allow this mere volume to encourage you when we consider, is God's word true? Is God's word reliable? Is it really God's word? I mean, you really think that a human conspiracy theory or a conspiracy group could have come up with all those details fulfilled by one person's life generations later? So even the mere volume of the Messianic Psalms should encourage us as we consider the faithfulness and the reliability of Scripture. Just like last week, I know that was a ton of information, and really every week, the slides are always on our website. If you're ever like, hey, what was that one piece of information? I didn't get a picture of it. I didn't get a chance to write it down. Always on our website. Go to our website. Go to the past week's message. You can download all the information that we, we use on a Sunday morning. But, I mean, really just look at, let's go back. That's three slides worth of psalm after psalm after psalm after psalm that points to the life of Christ. It's incredible. And I want to take time specifically to look at two psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 118. And this might be a little bit of a different Sunday. We're going to spend a little bit more time reading than we normally do. But the point of this Sunday's message, as we consider the psalms, as we consider how do I study the psalms? How do I grow in my familiarity with God's word, my love for God's word? my knowledge of God's word. How do I use it? How does God's word shape my life? How does it impact me? That's great that I read it, 
but what's it do in my life? How am I applying it? How is this growing me to look more like Jesus? When we come to this idea of Messianic Psalms, I really want the emphasis to be, I want the takeaway to be just a passion for Christ, a passion for Jesus as our Savior, a deeper appreciation of who he is and what he's done. And the Psalms tell us of these things. So Psalm 22 My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to my jaws, you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of your congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the, earth, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat in worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Guys, be intimately familiar with Psalm 22. What does Psalm 22 tell us about Jesus? It tells us we have a Savior who's well acquainted with grief and sorrow. We asked a few weeks ago, you know, hands up if you could say you've lived a painless life. Nobody put their hands up. 
I mean, put your hands up if you've never lost a loved one. Put your hands up if you've never been betrayed in a conversation by a friend. If you've never been disrespected by a boss. If you've never suffered financial loss. If you've never gotten a disappointing doctor's report. Nah, life is full of pain and grief and sorrow. And one of the things that makes it hardest is when we feel alone. One of the things that makes sin the hardest is when we feel alone in it. One of the things that makes pain and grief and sorrow the hardest is when we feel alone. Psalm 22 reminds us that we have a Messiah, we have a Savior who is well acquainted with grief and sorrow. That we can't cry out, no one knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows. And Jesus knows better than we do. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus knows pain. He's no stranger to it. So when we go to him with our pain, he knows. And he is the one best positioned to do something with our pain. To meet us in our pain. To carry us through our pain. To teach us in our pain. To use our pain. Psalm 22 is so incredible to consider that this is our Savior. Name one other religion that places its most important figure at the very bottom of the pit. No, because when we invent something, we can't conceive of the most important person suffering the most. When we invent something, we can't conceive of the hero of the story being the one who is acquainted with sorrow, familiar with grief. Now, the one at the top of the pyramid, the one at the top of the food chain, they're the one who's just, everything goes well. No, Jesus, the only true Savior He's acquainted with grief and sorrow. I can't imagine a love like that. It brings me such joy. It brings me such encouragement. It brings me such hope that my Savior chose that so that He could relate to me, so that He could come alongside me. You talk about love? Jesus' willingness to be a man of sorrow and grief proves His love time and time again. Okay, so now what? Well, it's frequently in our grief, it's frequently in our sorrow, it's frequently in our pain that we respond in sin. Anybody ever said, hey, look, I'm, Kyle, man, I'm sorry I said that. I was having a bad day. Bruce, I'm sorry I did that. I had gotten bad news earlier. Anybody ever sinned and realized it's because you were lonely, you were angry, you were hurt, you felt betrayed, you were in pain, and you lashed out? 
I'm going to be honest, I, I don't know if I would believe someone who said they'd never done that. I know I've done that. So if I'm someone who is going to be in pain, if I'm someone who's going to find myself in times of sorrow, in times of grief, in times of loneliness, wanting to cry out, God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? But I can remember that I have a Savior who knows these things. What else do I know about Jesus? Hebrews 4, 15-16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Psalm 22 should remind God's people that we have a place to run to. That we have a refuge that we have a source of strength, we have a throne of mercy to lay ourselves before. We have an eternal fountain of grace to go to. To what? To find help in times of need. So in our times of sorrow, in our times of grief, in our times of feeling betrayed, of feeling alone, of feeling forsaken, in our moments of temptation, remember Psalm 22. Remember that Jesus has been there before and that Jesus is without sin. And so because of that, we with confidence can approach his throne. With confidence we can say, Lord, you know pain. I'm in pain. Make me holy in this pain. Do not allow this pain, do not allow this grief, do not allow this suffering to be caused to sin. I need your grace, I need your mercy, I need your help. And be confident that you find it at his throne. I love the Messianic Psalms. I love Psalm 22. Then you also have Psalm 118. Really, so much of Psalm 118 points to Jesus, but I want to draw attention to two verses. Verse 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Consider Acts 4, starting in verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. I think it's funny to me when, or I don't think, it, it is funny, it's funny to me when Christians complain that the world's annoyed with us and wants to shut us up. Yeah, duh. Like, that's because we should be doing what annoys them. I mean, it says they were proclaiming Jesus as in the rulers and the Sadducees were annoyed. I think, I think that's great. 
May the world be annoyed that we won't stop talking about Jesus in a loving way. But let's annoy people. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." You've heard me quote verse 13 before. I love Acts 4.13. So they annoy the rulers. The rulers arrest them. The rulers try and stop the message. They proclaim Jesus with boldness. They proclaim Jesus as the cornerstone, the foundation with boldness. Acts 4.13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. People give me an excuse all the time of, I'm just common. I'm not a, I'm not a student. I'm not a scholar. I'm this, I'm that. I'm filling the blank. I'm, I'm whatever reason I want to come up with to say I'm nobody. I'm common. Yeah, so am I. So are your elders. So is Mario. That's the point. We're supposed to be common. Because when common people proclaim Jesus with boldness and God does what only God can do, the only possible conclusion is Jesus. May we be a church of common people. You're common? Good. So were Peter and John. I'm not a student. I'm uneducated. So were Peter and John. That's who we're meant to be. We're meant to be common people being used by God. So that the people are astonished and they say, well, the only possible conclusion is Jesus. Why? Because the foundation is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Then you come to Ephesians 2.19-22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
Psalm 118, Messianic Psalm, points to Jesus, foreshadows Jesus, the truth about Jesus. Psalm 118 should remind each and every one of us that the foundation of our lives better be Jesus. If you're trying to be a husband or a wife apart from Jesus, it's going to go very poorly. If you're trying to be a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a friend apart from Jesus, it's going to go very poorly. You might be able to fake it. Fake it till you make it. No. Fake it till you burn out. That's how that saying really should end. Fake it till you get overwhelmed and exhausted. Fake it till you fall into despair. If Jesus isn't the foundation, it's going to crumble. If you're trying to be an employee and Jesus isn't the foundation, job's going to be hard, man. But don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. Be emboldened. Be hopeful. Be grateful. Be joyful. Because God shows us that when his people place Jesus as the foundation, when his people recognize Jesus as the cornerstone and build their lives upon him, he is doing the work of building the church up. He is doing the work of raising up common people to be used in uncommon ways that causes the observing world to say, tell me more about Jesus. I mean, did you guys listen to Ephesians 2? We are fellow citizens and bricks with the apostles. You think you're a nobody? No, you're the brick that is laying right next to a brick named Paul. You're the brick that is on top of Peter. You're not a nobody. You're a common person who God has placed into the wall of his church. You are a common person who God has said, hey, I, in my power, in my grace, in my mercy, I am going to use you to build up the church into my dwelling place. Because Jesus is the cornerstone. Man, set that weight down. If you're trying to be the cornerstone of your family that holds it all together, if you're trying to shoulder that load, if you're trying to be the one who shows up on a Sunday morning and everything's perfect, you were never meant to be the cornerstone. If you're looking at me to be the cornerstone of this church, you are going to be sorely disappointed. If you are looking to the elders to be the cornerstone that holds it all together, get ready to get let down. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the head. And when we submit to that, when we line up with that, when we rejoice in that, when we celebrate in that, God does uncommon things that cause the world to say, I'm astonished. I conclude they've been with Jesus. I love the Messianic Psalms, man. There is so much hope. There is so much joy. There is so much strength and encouragement found in them. The world's mocking you. Read Psalm 22. They mock Jesus first. You feel alone? Jesus felt alone first. You're feeling grief. You're feeling sorrow. Jesus has been there. You're feeling like you're a nobody who can't be used. 
I don't know, God's word says he's building us up into his dwelling place. No disrespect to your opinion, but God's opinion trumps yours every time. God's opinion certainly trumps mine every time. So if the enemy wants to tell me that I'm pointless in the church, if the enemy's trying to tell you that you're nobody, you're just stuck in your sin, you'll always be stuck in your sin, look how long you've been in the church and you've never taken Bible study seriously? You've wasted your time. I mean, at this point, just ride it out. That's what the enemy wants us to think. You know what God says? God says, no, Jesus is the cornerstone and I'm building you up on top of that cornerstone. Let's get to work. I love Psalm 22. I love Psalm 118. It is, oh man, they are good ones to go to. Because they point us back to Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's about pointing people to Jesus. It's about us conforming to Jesus. You remove that, everything crumbles. When you recognize where the cornerstone is, how reliable it is, that's something to build on. So this week, as we consider these psalms, as we consider these reminders, these lessons, let's read Ephesians 3, Hebrews 1, and 1 Peter 2. Three chapters. Apply the Acts model as we pray through them. How do they lead us to adore God, to praise God, to confess, to give thanksgiving, to make supplication, requests? But then consider the adjectives. Let me reread Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. So as you read these three chapters, as you read through the Psalms, you go back and you reread Psalm 22 this week if you want. Reread Psalm 118. But as we read, consider these three adjectives. How do we see those three truths reflected in the Psalms? How do we see those three truths reflected in Ephesians 3, Hebrews 1, and 1 Peter 2? You want to grow in your studying? You want to learn how to study more, how to study deeper, how to help train your mind? Pick a highlighter color. A sign tested the color blue. Tested stone. Precious is red. Sure foundation is green. Anytime you're reading through the Bible and a passage reminds you that Jesus is tested and proven true, highlight it in that color. Anytime you're reading through the Bible and you're like, oh yeah, precious. Jesus is precious. Highlight it in that same color. Let's train ourselves how to do this. Let's grow in it. It's a blast. I love it. And it makes it easy. Oh, that sounds like a lot of work, Sam. Yeah, but now you know what? When I'm having a bad day, when I'm tempted to doubt, when I'm tempted to question, I can flip open my Bible and just look for the color blue. And when I see blue, I say, oh, that's a promise of God. And in very short order, I can read a dozen promises of God. And you know what? Whatever my problem was seems a whole lot smaller after I've read through those promises. So let's apply it. Let's learn. Let's study. Let's grow. And let's let everything be built on the foundation of Jesus, a Savior who knows us, a Savior who sympathizes with us, and a Savior who deeply loves us and promises us help when we need it. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, we praise you as tested. We praise you as sure 
as unshakable, as unmoving. We praise you as a firm foundation. We praise you as precious, as something to be desired with all of us, as a Savior to be delighted in and pursued relentlessly with all of our heart, with zeal, with passion, with hunger. We praise you for being these things. Lord, we confess that we forget these things. Forgive us for when in our sin we cast these aside. We take our eyes off you on your throne. Have mercy on us in those times, Lord. And we thank you that you do have mercy. We thank you that you are grace, that you are forgiveness. We thank you that you draw us back to Jesus time and time again. And so, Lord, that is what we ask. We ask that we would be men and women built on the cornerstone of Christ. We ask that we would be a men's ministry, a women's ministry, a youth ministry, a senior ministry built on the cornerstone of Christ, that our kids' wing would be firmly cemented on the cornerstone of Christ, that this church, this body, that your word says you are assembling together, may we be built on the cornerstone of Christ. May the world forget our names. May they know yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.